This is an ABC podcast. G'day. Welcome to the final hack podcast of the week. Not forever, don't worry. <laughs> this is The Shake Up. I'm Dave Marchese. What a huge week we've had. We've covered so many big and really heavy stories on hack this week, but it's time to loosen up a little bit, have a bit of fun. And don't worry, there's so much in here to get you talking. And now your country is an international embarrassment. It's awful, actually, for the people of Come on, how much of a say should athletes have when it comes to sponsors? The Bureau of Meteorology has announced it doesn't want to be known as the bomb anymore. On On Triple J. Yeah, we've got political crises, we've got sport debates, a marketing fail that you want to hear about. I can't wait to dive into all of this with you and our shake-up panel for the week, so let's get to know them. First, a shake-up favourite. She's the New South Wales Chief Court Reporter for News Corp's local and regional titles, Eliza Barr. It's been a while. It's so good to have you back on Hack. Happy to be back. Thanks, Dave. What's it been like this week? Huge in court? Uh, yes, it's. I mean, when does it ever stop? The, the crimes keep happening and I keep showing up. Yeah, you're like, well, I'm still in a job. I'm still in a job, <laughs> all those naughty people. And joining us direct from Perth, former WA Liberal leader, he's a writer, commentator, he does everything. Zach Kirkup, good to have you back as well. How you doing? Good to be with you, mate. Thanks for having me. You looking forward to the weekend? I am very much looking forward to the weekend. I've been checking out your Instagram. Have you been doing a bit of travelling, been getting so, around? Just a lot of work-related travel, but uh, it's been it's been very good fun. Oh, nice. Good stuff. Well, hey, the weekend's around the corner. First, though, I want to get the thoughts of you guys, Australia. It's all one big chat on all these topics. Let's get into it. Pat, it's been a dramatic day in Britain. Prime Minister Liz Truss has resigned after only 45 days in office. On Triple J. Yeah, one of Kim Kardashian's marriages, an uncooked ham, a well-made candle, even an iceberg lettuce. These are all things that last longer than Liz Truss's Britain's PM. It's scientifically proven, everyone. It was hectic right from the start, wasn't it? And it's safe to say there was a lot happening in Liz Truss's month and a half in the top job. Pack. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. A fairly disastrous situation occurred and it was clear that she needed to be replaced. I am a fighter and not a quitter. Clear evidence of massive incompetence and chaos. Given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected. I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. We're talking about the 55th Prime Minister returning to replace the 56th and you think... Help. Where are we going with this? Boris Johnson, who uh, I think always hoped he might make a comeback, although I don't expect he imagined to make one quite as quickly as this. Liz Truss isn't the problem here. She's the symptom of a much more fundamental problem. A broken Tory party, certainly, but also a broken UK political system. On Triple J. Yeah, it didn't work out for Liz Truss at all. But maybe you can sympathise. Have you ever started off thinking, I'm going to nail this, and then realise pretty quickly not too good at it at all. You tried to fake it, but you didn't make it. Let us know. Call in 1300 0 536. You can message in as well 0439 757 Or even if you've got some other good examples of things that last longer than Liz Truss as Prime Minister. We want to get the list going, keep it going. We want to hear them. Let's get into this with our shake-up crew, former WA Liberal leader, writer Zach Kirkup and News Corp journal Eliza Barr. Zach, Zach, as a former Conservative leader yourself, any sympathy for Liz Truss? I, I'm, I was amazed to learn that 
the election for leader went longer than her prime ministerial <laughs> tenure. Oh, is that right? Yeah, wow. it was. It was longer than she served. Trying to get the job took her longer to get. She was in trying to get the job longer than she was in it, which is amazing to me. It's crazy, right? Because it did take so long. The process a bit different oh, in the UK, yeah. and it just seemed to go on and on and on. And then finally, it was like we've got some certainty, and then this happened. Did you expect, you know, that this was going to happen, Zach? That yeah, you know, Liz Truss was not going to make it. Well, the problem I think the Conservative Party have in is that they don't really have a, a leadership con, you know, pool of people they can draw on. And when it came to uh, Liz Truss, you see her and she doesn't exactly have like the golden tongue, right? She's quite wooden. Um, I, I saw one of the Tory MPs said that if they were to get rid of her as Prime Minister, it'd be more like deforestation because of how stiff and wooden she actually is rather than a uh, coup to get rid of her. I, I found it um, remarkable how poorly she judged the electorate, the idea of introducing this mini budget that was not required at all, but had all these contentious elements within it. And then her handling of getting rid of the Chancellor, who was one of her closest allies, and then her Home Secretary, who was, you know, effectively let go of. And then she lost a vote on fracking in the House of Commons, or they, sorry, they had the issues with the House of Commons and the fracking vote, which actually turned into a motion of confidence in the Prime Minister. She was just so poorly handled from the very beginning. And it was almost like very early on, you saw that she couldn't, she reached that point of no return. And it was just a, from that point on, just a glide path until she was inevitably going to be removed. That's so true. It just seemed like every day there was another headline. The media were on her, right, in these interviews. And you could tell that she just wasn't, you know, up to giving the answers that people were expecting. Eliza, what do you think happened here? Like, do you think Liz Truss was not up for the job? Or do you reckon that she was just dealt an impossible situation? I mean, it was a pretty crazy time if you think about it. She was appointed by Queen Elizabeth and then a few days later, the biggest story in the world, the Queen dies. I think that to an extent you could say uh, Liz Truss has inherited a bit of a poison chalice. The Tories were already in such a state of disarray in the final few weeks of Boris Johnson's leadership that I think that was always going to be difficult for anybody to come back from uh, But I also, I remember reading something from, it was a young conservative and I tried to track this article down so I don't remember if it was uh, a British young conservative or an Australian, but in any case, it was talking about the fact that it's really difficult to win people over at the moment to conservative points of view because there is so little at the moment to conserve. Housing prices are so Mm. expensive and the cost of living and particularly we've heard a lot about the cost of power and energy in the UK at the moment and how exorbitant it is. Nobody has anything left to conserve. So I think it's also just a bit about the mood of the times at the moment as well and the fact that uh, those kinds of policies are not really serving people very well at the moment. And again, I just think she also walked into a very difficult legacy left by everyone that came before her. Yeah, well, I mean, wouldn't be the first political leader to get into the top job and go, what the hell is all this that I've got to deal with? Look, we've got some messages coming through. Reese says, even celebrity marriages last longer than that. I could listen to Mumbo number 5 on repeat longer than that. That's a nice one, Reese. A good reference to Bryce and Ebony's big competition and record there. Someone else, a family game of Monopoly lasts longer than that. Another person says, I have bruises that have lasted longer. And James in Bunjalung Country says, I reckon Mal Meninga's political career was shorter than Liz Truss's <laughs> prime ministership. <laughs> Do you reckon, Zach, that we need to be giving political leaders more of a chance, like more of a an opportunity to improve things or to turn things around, that they're thrown into these big jobs and then it's like, you need to be good within a few weeks or you're out. Is that, 
is that sustainable really? Because now we're talking about going back to the old one. They're saying, oh, Boris might be back. So well, there's very short memories here. Very short memories. I mean, this works out so well for Boris Johnson, really. I mean, he was apparently in the Caribbean when this has all happened. <laughs> he's on a flight back now and trying to sound out his colleagues whether or not he's has the support to become, you know, again, the Prime Minister of the UK. It, it's, I, I don't think it's a good thing for any country to change leaders so quickly, particularly, obviously, Prime Ministers or, you know, or Presidents or anyone who's the head of state or a head of, you know, head of, head of a government. Uh, the idea to me that we have such a... The markets over in the UK, well, they, they crashed when Liz Truss came out with that mini-budget confidence, consumer confidence, business confidence, all, all tanked. The Tories were at risk of losing 200 seats as a result of the decisions that she had made. So it, I don't think it's necessarily a reflection of uh, this, this hesitant, or sorry, I guess this advocacy in the community to quickly get rid of their leaders. I think it was a response to a leader who did such a terrible job. I mean, that's the, the real crux of the matter here is, as Prime Minister, there was not a lot of things that she did well and ultimately ended up in the situation where she became quite powerless. Once you get rid of you know, the equivalency of the treasurer, who was a friend of hers for over a decade, a political ally, and then your home secretary as well, who's the effectively sort of like the... Uh, we have, an, we have a, a home affairs minister now, quite a senior security official in the cabinet. She didn't have many friends left. And then the handling within the parliament. Apparently, there are a number of uh, allegations that uh, the government wasn't going to win its own motion of confidence on this this fracking bill, a position that the the former the now former prime minister uh, Truss had had various positions on that they were manhandling people into the into the voting booths just to make sure that the Tories could retain the parliament. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty dismal situation. It's crazy stuff. On the text line, someone says at least UK conservatives know how to conserve the climate, unlike the nongs down under. Somebody else <laughs> says like all the conservatives over in England, Liz destroyed her backbone trying to bend over backwards to appease the media over there. Eliza, the New York Times wrote an interesting piece talking about the role memes had in Liz Truss's downfall because they basically said from the get-go she was mocked because she was very memeable, like those random lines, the thing about imported cheese and all that sort of stuff. Do you think that the memes and the jokes really did have an impact here? uh, That once people had the ball rolling, the lettuce had appeared, we were seeing which was going to last longer, that stuff actually had a big impact? Well, that thing with the the cheese and the my favourite was the pork market, you know, this oh, yeah. announcement of this, <laughs> we're going to have a pork market. Okay, Liz, thank you. Great. That's, you've got my vote. Uh, I think, you know, that happened quite late in the piece, right? I think uh, that's... That's only, I don't know that you could sort of ascribe her complete downfall and failure to that. And also I think in a sense if you're getting memed, yes, sometimes that can be a mark of people's uh, distrust or dislike of you and that they do want to take you down. But sometimes it can also be a bit of a mark of, you know, humanising someone and a bit of a begrudging sort of affection. I mean we used to have when Theresa May was the Prime Minister that she, you know, used to have that really awkward style of dancing that people oh, yeah. were really obsessed with when oh, they'd play the yeah. music, when yeah, she'd step yeah, up yeah, on the yeah, stage to do her speeches <laughs> and that kind of thing. So I don't know if you could say that that was the thing that toppled her in the end because sometimes it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a bit of a mark of affection to an extent or an acknowledgement of someone's humanity. But I think if people can't take you seriously, that probably is a pretty 
legitimate indication of your ability to govern for any meaningful length of time. For sure. On the text line, someone sang my lawn, last got mowed with Boris in charge. Um, another person says, coming from a Ford man, most Holdens last longer than Liz Truss's prime ministership. <laughs> I wonder, Zach... Can I ask you, what impact does it have on you when there's a lot, when you're in the big job, when you're leading a political party and there's a lot of talk about, you know, the future, leadership, is it something that you're able to block out to a certain extent or is it something that's just always present and it starts to have a really big impact? I think that if you start making decisions entirely based on um, sort of the the day-to-day minutiae, you really lose a vision and you really lose sort of long-term goals that you have. I mean, admittedly, I was um, a very (laughs) short-lived leader of the Liberal Party in Western Australia uh, because we went to the election with a very quick change of of, uh, leaders. But you can't can't really focus on sort of the hourly, in the case, you know, or or day-to-day changes. You've got to really be focused on on the horizon. I mean, there's a lot of um, coaches out there who will tell you that you've just got to focus on the process each and every day and uh, that'll get you to where you need to be. And I think the problem that Liz Truss had is she was really, you know, very, very uh, reliant on responding to the sort of daily media cycle, which only fed the daily media cycle. Yeah. And it, without a real clear vision, a very clear picture about what she wanted to achieve as Prime Minister, so many of her policy goals that she wanted to uh, implement were then she, she backflipped on. And that's when there's blood in the water at that point in time and people just knew she'd become weakened in her position and then ultimately powerless. And then what's the point of having her as leader? Yeah, it's like, let's get the iceberg lettuce to be Prime Minister. That's yeah, exactly what, right. That's what everyone's thinking. Um, someone on the text line, I wish I got a $200,000 pension for getting fired after two months. Another person says, based on Australia's track record and now the UK, really makes you wonder whether the Westminster... Westminster... West, West, Westminster... <laughs> It's a hard word. (laughs) You're not supposed to pronounce that T. Westminster system is the right thing to have. Let's move on because I can't say these words. Pack, there's a number of cases where athletes have taken a stand against particular sponsors. On Triple J. Sports washing. Do you know what it is? Basically, the idea of rich people, corporations or groups using sports to improve their reputation through sponsorship. It's happened for ages, for decades, but there are is a growing campaign against it in Australia. You might have seen a heap of this in the news this week. A lot of athletes and fans are saying they've had enough. Hack. Cummins denies he pressured Cricket Australia to end its $40 million sponsorship deal with Alinta Energy over concerns about their carbon footprint. Netball Australia not in a great financial position right now. How much of a say should athletes have when it comes to sponsors? They would like to stand side by side with their Indigenous teammate so that she can run out and represent her country for the first time wearing the same dress as her teammates. I think she's part of this program. She knows where we stand. We're supporting Janelle, um, obviously, with everything that's going on and um, I'm confident that we'll get a solution to this. Concerns have been raised about Hancock Prospecting's record on environmental and Indigenous issues. Increasingly, yeah, it's absolutely critical that athletes, as well as other stakeholders, certainly have a voice and uh, and, and a part of the decision-making. And most recently, of course, there's been the debate about the pride rounds and the indigenous rounds and and are we structurally changing anything or is it just kind of sports washing on triple j yeah a lot of talk about sports washing this week the australian diamonds netball squad Fremantle dockers cricketer pat cummins i'm so keen to hear what you think about this one if you're a sports fan do you think about who sponsors your favorite team does it matter to you or maybe you're an athlete you can be anonymous too 
Do you feel uncomfortable being a bit of a billboard for a major company or brand? You can call in 1300 0555 You can message in as well 0439757555. Let's ask the Shake Up crew, News Corp court reporter Eliza Barr, columnist, former politician, huge WA advocate, Zach Kirkup. Eliza, sports sponsorship deals. In the past, it's been seen as like big companies or rich people giving back to the community. It's a bit more scrutiny now, though. Should we be looking more closely at this kind of stuff? I mean, I think it's good to have money flowing into sports and particularly the sports that are dominated by women or are increasingly uh, entertaining women at a high level because historically, you know, sport being financially prosperous for someone that's usually a very male-dominated sort of thing. So I think it's good that businesses are taking an interest. But again, with buying in quite literally to sport, I guess there comes inevitably scrutiny and uh, a level of uh, responsibility, which is that you, you may be asked questions about what your motives are and what it is that you stand for. And some people may not agree with you. But then again, some people may agree with you. And I feel for people in the position that, you know, teams like the Diamonds are in on the basis that I think they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. They can either walk away from the money and say that they're not interested, which puts them in a financially difficult position. And it's also going to get the people who are on Gina Reinhart's side of the issue offside, or they can keep the money and maybe be at odds with themselves and their own values or with each other and with the people that disagree with where Gina Reinhart stands on this issue. It's, so. it's tricky. It's tricky. Someone on the text line says sports washing sounds like competitive laundry. <laughs> it does, actually. It's going to be an Olympic sport, maybe. <laughs> Zach Kirkhart, what do you reckon? Do you think athletes should be given more of a say over who sponsors their teams? Zach, are you there? Oh, no, he's not there, Zach. He's dropped out. He's like, I'm out of this. I'm out of this topic. What do you reckon, Eliza? Is it something um, that you think athletes should have a say over if they have, you know, a big uh, concern with it, that there shouldn't be any fear of them losing their spot in the team? Yeah, I think to an extent you do have to sort of live and die by your standards and I think it would be a shame if you were unable to express a particular point of view because it would be too costly for you. And I would hope that corporate sponsors might be open to the idea that maybe not everybody is going to completely fundamentally uh, agree with or believe in what it is that they stand for and what it is that they do, but that that wouldn't be an excuse to uh, destabilise something that brings so much unity and community to the people of Australia. And I think the other issue as well is that when it comes to a team, so much of what makes a team successful or indeed unsuccessful is their level of unity. And so I think if a particular team has come to a particular position on something, irrespective of the backlash that they that may attract one way or another, it's the thing that ultimately from my uh observation, my interest in sport, the thing that will bring a team down is not who is and isn't giving them money. It's whether or not they themselves are unified on a particular position. So what goes on in the background and what 
people privately may think and how they deal with that as a team I think is really important as well. Yeah, there's a lot of thoughts on this one. Someone says, if athletes say no to sponsorship, they may as well kiss goodbye to a healthy wage. Another person, Nathan in Hobart, says, I feel it really strange. Alcohol brands, even though they're advertising a 0% product, are allowed to advertise at motor racing. Somebody else, yes, highly uncomfortable with big business sponsorship, especially betting companies for sports that have large childhood support. And somebody else, sports teams have a social conscience. It's great, but cricketers fly on planes a lot and play under lights. Both have a carbon footprint. Do they offset that? That was from Diane. Zach Kirkup, I saw a quote from former Australian netballer Amy Steele who said athletes have to fight so hard to earn those uniforms she thinks sponsors should have to earn their place as well. Is that fair? It, well, I, I appreciate the the role that an employee of a team that is a, you know, a sports person might have. But ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the in the context of say Woodside and and the and the Dockers over here in Western Australia. Yeah. Resources are a huge part of the West Australian economy, and without the West Australian economy, there'd be no Australian economy. You can't ignore reality in order to further you know in order to further your own beliefs here. I appreciate the perspective that those players might have with respect to their moral compass and and how they feel about issues. But ultimately, it's a decision I think that's a bit bit above them, a bit beyond them really. In saying that, if they don't agree with the position of a team, don't be part of that team. There's a lot of comments still coming through on this one. Mark in Wiradjuri country, Santos sponsoring the Aussie rugby team while they kill our kids' future. That's someone's opinion there. Another person says, it makes me really sad that swimming and netball has to resort to the mining industry for money and other industries aren't chipping in. I don't know, Zach, it's not just sports washing, though. There's also this, you know, talk about arts washing as well. I saw Perth Festival is no longer going to be partnered with Chevron, the US fossil fuel giant. Do you think that we're creating a sponsorship crisis or funding crisis here where we will have all these teams that aren't going to have sponsors or are we creating opportunities for other sponsors now? I think the reality is uh, you look at the the organisations, the companies, the sectors that make the most amount of money in Australia, inevitably that's health or it's resources. And I don't think you're going to have a situation where uh, you're going to see smaller, small, medium-sized businesses be able to fund you know, the, the Dockers or anything like that and replace someone like Woodside or Chevron be easily replaced when it comes to uh, Perth Festival. So it's a bit of a shame. Unfortunately, uh, whether people like it or not, these companies still exist and they still employ a lot of people. I mean, the, the WA economy, I'll, I'll speak, as you rightly said before, as a proud West Australian, <laughs> our state would be gutted, but similarly, so would the entire country. It's really easy, I think, to say in you know, the, inner, the inner city of the eastern states that they wouldn't like, they don't want to see these resource companies around, but they exist. And in the case of Hancock, prospecting, and a lot of other, uh, you know, listed resource companies, they also spend a lot of money on Indigenous communities and supporting, you know, the Indigenous-related programs to make sure there's employment and education and health services. So there is a lot of good that comes with this as well. I realise people have some moral objection to it, but, you know, that moral objection should be weighed up, I think, with the idea that you might like to keep your lights on and might like to have an economy and a job. But do you back, Zach, if someone, if a, if an athlete, if a member of a team like the Diamond says, I don't want to wear that because it doesn't sit right with me, do you think they should have to forfeit their spot in the team? I think they need to think about their own uh, moral perspective on this. It's up to them to decide whether or not they want to be part of that team. Mm. And ultimately, I wouldn't join a company whose values I don't align with 
Uh, and if a player has an issue with a sponsor, then maybe they should consider that rather than trying to force the sponsor out that actually keeps the rest of the team going. Oh, it's interesting. Eliza, what do you think of this one? Because, you know, sponsors can change. All of a sudden one's gone and then another one's there and you've got different values all of a sudden. <laughs> I would like to optimistically think that Gina Reinhart could accept that maybe somebody didn't completely agree with her position and what it is that she does but would not... Uh, scorched the earth about it, if I could put it that way. I'd like to think that she may accept that not everybody is going to think the same way that she does. And I think that goes for any business leader anywhere. Not all people are going to agree on all things all of the time. And I would like to think that it would be possible to say, okay, well, I understand that some people don't agree with me, but I understand that this is still a good thing to invest in when it comes to swimming, when it comes to netball, Australian sports, particularly those where women are actually allowed to dominate and are allowed to rise to the top level of it and to make some money out of it, to make a living wage out of it. So I'd like to think that everyone actually on on both sides, I don't know if this, (laughs) I'm very conscious of both sides in it, but I would like to think that everybody could maybe come in and say, all right, well, we're at odds on this issue, but maybe we can see the mutual benefit of supporting Australian sport and what that does, not just for the players involved, but uh, for Australians as a community of uh, people who enjoy sport, who watch sport, who engage in sport, who may want to play those sports in oh, the future. That's nice, Eliza. <laughs> Is it too cosy for Maybe. a crime reporter? Maybe. I don't know. We've got more messages, Jonesy and Newcastle. If athletes want to say no to a sponsor, then they should take a pay cut themselves because of lost revenue. Another person says a sponsor should feel comfortable supporting a sports team without the jersey advertising, be a silent contributor. All right, speaking of branding... Hack! The Bureau of Meteorology say that making all outlets use their new names will cause less confusion. On Triple Jack. Yeah, what a bombshell. (laughs) We've been bombarded all week (laughs) with this bombastic rhetoric. It's a real abomination. The Bureau of Meteorology really pissed a lot of people off when it tried to effectively change its name this week. The Weather Lords, they sent an order to journalists asking them to stop calling them the bomb or bomb. They also don't want to be called the Weather Bureau, but they don't mind being called the Bureau, which is a bit confusing because it makes you think of the FBI. What did you think of this? Were you... Did you understand where this was coming from? Maybe you've tried to rebrand yourself. Actually, I do want to hear from you. If you have tried to rebrand, maybe you've tried to change your name, let me know. 0439757555. Former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup, News Corp journal Eliza Barr. Let's get their thought. Zach, what do you call the Bureau of Meteorology these days? I just think the Bureau of Meteorology or, or, or the bomb. I'd never really thought that much about the do name. Do you call it the bomb? I don't. I don't really. I don't even know what I, I just like. Look it up. I don't. I just you know search for it online. I never even thought about it. Maybe it's more of a journalist thing. Eliza, do you call it the bomb? Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it I've is all, the bomb. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not anymore. Sorry. Um, is this just going to make the issue worse? I don't know. What do you think, Zach? If you tell Australians not to give something a nickname, oh, that's right. What's going to happen? You can't. Isn't it the whole point of Australian society is that you don't give yourself a nickname? Someone does it for you, and then it just sticks. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I'd like to 
call myself many other things, but I don't get it. I don't have, I don't have that capacity. There was a lot of criticism about this announcement being made during the flooding emergency, Eliza, when you would think there were a few more pressing issues at hand and the amount of money that was spent with marketing, um, you know, professionals getting involved. What did you think of the timing? Oh, I thought it was completely bizarre. There are whole communities you get that the are email? underwater at the moment. No, I did not get the email. I had to find out on Twitter. I find that extremely disrespectful. Bomb, if you're listening, add me to your mailing list as a matter of absolute urgency. I'm the most important person in this situation. Hey. So I, I just, again, it's an, a nickname is something that has to be bequeathed to you. You That's don't right. get to choose it. And at the end of the day, it wasn't offensive. I think it's actually, again, I think it's affectionate. People weren't going, oh, the bomb, like the, the bomb is bad. I mean, the bomb is bad to me if they're telling me it's like the fourth La Nina and then I'm over it and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> but in general, no one's going, oh, the bomb, like it's a terrible organisation. It's a mark of affection. It's what we do as Australians. We shorten everything and we give it a nickname. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, I'm going to reinvent myself as Andrew G, oh, which is a bit of a switchback. <laughs> um, Osher there. I looked up the biggest rebrand fails, actually. And in 2020, the Australia made logo, you know, the green triangle yes. with the kangaroo, tried right. to rebrand as a symbol that looked like the COVID-19 spike protein. Yes. Which, oh, I remember yeah, that. It kind of got lost in the news because it was during a very hectic time for us. But that was crazy. Also, Vegemite tried to become iSnack 2.0. I don't know yeah, if that's right. No, that was that. terrible. Absolutely cancelled. What so, a stupid name. Zach, does re, do rebrands ever work? Oh, well, not always, as, we, as we've seen. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, now we're naming brands. I think um, initially everyone called Maccas Maccas, and now I think Maccas has taken that on as an example, right? They, yeah. when, you know, there's a, there's a really good example where they've, you know, leveraged something that's already in public in the public mindset. You can't just force that on other people and say, this is what we must be called from here on out. It made zero sense to me and... Obviously, we're not being thankfully affected by the floods over here in WA, but you know, I don't think it's it's worthy of any money being spent on it. And to learn the quantum, I think it was two hundred thousand dollars plus being spent on rebranding. Ridiculous! Um, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. just crazy. A lot of thoughts on this. Someone says they should be called Wombat Weather Observations and Meteorological Bureau of Australian Territories. <gasps> wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's so that. special. We love that. Give that person two hundred thousand dollars. I know <laughs> they deserve it. They deserve it. More successful. Another person says it's still their URL. Bomb.gov.au. Yeah, also their Twitter handles. Um, and the app. And the app. It's still a yep. huge issue for them that they oh, haven't really thought through. Hack on Triple J. A big thanks again to Zach Kirkup and Eliza Barr. And just to let you know, I'm going to be away next week. The wonderful Andrew McCormack has got you, though. It's going to be a big week, too. We've got this budget, some big politics news, interviews as well. So make sure you tune in for that. And a big shout out to the hardworking hack team for this week our executive producer, Claire Bloomer, senior producer, Serge Negus, extra production by AJ Williams, and all of our hardworking reporters as well. I'll catch you in a little bit, but enjoy hack next week. See you next time.